0: Hi, everyone. Thank you
1: for joining us. This is Are, are these, these Books, books Drunk? drunk? <laughs> <Racism>. <laughs> that was good, though. I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your booklip with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we're talking about real life by Brandon Taylor. Ladies, I'm really loving this book and Brandon's, yeah, and Brandon's writing style. Yeah. Now, last week, I truly appreciated how vulnerable and open we were. I'm so glad that we're bringing up topics that are stigmatized and that we are creating a safe space to hear one another.
2: Yeah. Discussing
1: Wallace's journey is prompting us to do so. With everything that's been happening in the world, it's okay to say we're not fine. Mm. And we might just want someone to empathize with us.
3: Yeah. Yeah, well said. (laughs) Um, Today's cocktail has a name that really makes me sad, like these chapters. (laughs) Yeah. Today's cocktail is called loneliness.
0: No. I know.
3: Inspired by Wallace's moving inner thoughts and comments, we really feel like we're getting to know Wallace deep down. Yeah. Here to share the recipe for this lonely cocktail is our not lonely bartender in (laughs) residence, (laughs) Ricardo.
0: (laughs) Ricardo. Ricardo.
2: Ciao, ladies. Welcome (laughs) to the bar.
0: Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you doing?
2: Good. So the cocktail of the day is pretty simple. We just need to do a little bit of technique explanation because, again, it's an egg white cocktail. Yeah. And it's called loneliness.
1: Mm. Oh.
2: So for any... uh, cocktail that is dry shake, we need to put just the egg white in the cocktail and do the dry shake. That means that the the egg white is going to be shaken without any other ingredients and without any ice. The ingredients of the cocktail are two ounces of vodka, one ounce of lemon juice, and one ounce of vanilla syrup. What's vanilla syrup, Brandy? It's I don't know. It's definitely not just vanilla extract. <laughs> Whoops. Yep.
1: Well, she so, wasn't the only one, so.
2: I know. I knew it. I knew it. My bad. Uh, let's grab a cup of water and a cup of sugar. So one-to-one ratio. Let's boil the water and dissolve the sugar and add just a teaspoon in the solution of the vanilla syrup uh, the vanilla extract to create the vanilla syrup. Ew. Okay, oh. So the cocktail is not going to be overpowered by the flavor of the vanilla, but you can still have the chance to have a little hint and a little taste of the sweetness of the vanilla. Uh, okay? Got it. So back to the preparation of the cocktail. Just dry shake the egg white. After a 15-20 second of dry shake, let's open the shaker, put ice very gently so we don't destroy the foam that we created in the, in the cocktail in the shaker and then all the ingredients so vodka lemon juice and vanilla syrup wow shake it shake it again and strain up in a chilled glass I'm using a coupe you can use any any small glass and like a canora a small martini like something that can actually let you embrace the foam that the egg created oh wow. That's, yeah, that's,
1: and it is. It's, it's a beautiful foam. And,
2: and that's loneliness.
1: Oh, oh Is it your so creation, bad. Ricardo?
2: Uh, no, it's a twist on another cocktail.
1: Amazing. And white like vodka?
2: Uh, <laughs> I'm using absolute. It, it, it's, it's definitely appropriate for this one.
0: And, Ricardo, you're using, um, you're not using egg whites, right? You're using...
2: I'm using the Fee, uh, Foam, uh, Brothers, Fee Foam Brothers Foam uh, Brothers extract that is like aquafaba. Perfect. Because, again, I'm vegan. you right. <laughs> don, 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 if someone else is vegan and is using this uh, product... Don't uh, overpower the cocktail with uh, with this extract. Just a couple of dashes because it's bitter a little bit, so it can change the flavor flavor profile of the cocktail.
0: Got it. Um, okay.
2: Cheers. la vostra salute, ragazzi. Thank
0: you, Salud. Ricardo. Grazie.
2: I'm so salute. lonely
1: after drinking oh.
2: this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ricardo. you Bye. Ciao. All right, ladies, cheers! blink, cheers. blink, clink. clink, clink. Woo! Oh! Ooh! Mine's That's... a little tart, but I'm loving it. It's like Pleasant. silence. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I like it. I like any cocktail that has, I really like it when Ricardo gives us a cocktail that has the egg whites in it because that foam is just delicious. I
1: know. This is so pretty just looking at it.
0: It just feels so like frothy and luxurious. It's like yummy. Mm. I have to admit
3: that today I'm drinking water. (laughs) Oh, super, super
0: lame. So I'm really jealous of you (laughs) too. Yeah, it's not lame. You're hydrating. Yeah, sure. (laughs) let's get into the
3: book i have fomo we're drinking we're
0: drinking the loneliness but really you're the lonely one with your water All right. This week, Wallace and Cole play tennis, and Cole has a mini breakdown over having found out that his boyfriend, Vincent, has downloaded a grinder like app and has, presumably, been looking around. Cole asks Wallace to come to a dinner party with their friends, which Wallace reluctantly agrees to, especially once his interest is piqued. The dinner party is apparently a setup for Miller to meet a woman Yngwie has invited to join them. Wallace's world, already on thin ice, receives another blow when their friend Roman, seemingly well-intentioned, and exactly, I say well-intentioned with an eye roll, informs Wallace that he should be very grateful to their graduate program for accepting him, a sentiment which Roman claims is because of Wallace's shortcomings in the lab when he first arrived to the program, but which is really a thinly veiled jab about Wallace's race. Wallace reels when none of his friends stick up for him, and the charade of it all becomes too much to bear. He outs Vincent's wandering eye, claiming he himself saw Vincent on the app, throwing the entire dinner party into tumult. And I fucking loved that moment. I was like, yes, Wallace, get him.
1: (laughs) I know. Seriously.
0: I was all freaking about it. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you, ladies, because in that moment, I felt like Wallace was being so... I felt like it was a moment where he was being so fucking real and he just couldn't... I just felt like he couldn't take it anymore. It was Mm -hmm. done. And I remembered that last week we were talking about the phrase, how are you today? And Mm -hmm. how we often give responses to that that are really generic. So in a very honest, real way, I I wanted to start today's talk by asking you guys how are you? (laughs) I feel pretty split
3: about that because um, well, the reason I'm drinking water is because sadly, I realized that I was diagnosed with COVID earlier this week, which is like (sighs) crazy. So like physically, I'm not feeling amazing. But we are recording this episode hours after we found out that Biden won presidency.
2: Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he <did>. <laughs> <laughs> Also making Kamala Harris our
3: first female <sighs> and black and Indi- Amer- Indian American president, uh, vice president. So um,
0: on that side, I'm feeling really fucking amazing and emotional, <laughs> which is yeah. crazy because I don't know if you guys remember this, but we were actually recording an episode when we found out that Kamala that was the right. hit. Yes, and we were we freaked out over that. So. Whew, it's been How a How are you journey. two doing? Go for it, Mariana. Um, Miss, she's wearing blue, y'all. She's all <laughs> in it. Yes.
1: I am all blue all the way. Um, before we found out, before 1130 this morning, I was overwhelmed and stressed, as yeah. many people were during yeah. this week, just not knowing and feeling like they were in limbo where yeah. where things were going to end up. Plus, everything else, personally, just things have been overwhelming lately. Mm-hmm. But now, it's relief. Yeah. It's a sense of, like, we we did it. We did it together. I New York, this city, guys. Oh, my God. As soon as it was announced, this city... It was an uproar of people just cheering and and a sense of elation and just happiness and joy mm-hmm. and being like, oh, my God, we, we finally are overcoming these four years. And we did this together and we're moving on and making changes. Yeah. So for me, it's everything and more. And I can't I, I'm not I'm so proud to be an American and I'm so proud proud to be here with both of you and celebrating Mm. something that that needed to happen. And I'm so hopeful. So hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. On that note,
0: I have to say, too, I'm so fucking proud to be a New Yorker today, Mm. because like you said, Mariana, like when the news hit, my neighborhood erupted. Yeah. There was clapping, there was cheering. Yeah. There were Aww. pots and pans banging, like people were finding whatever they could to make I a noise. Love horns that. were honking, like you yeah. could hear giant trucks, like those giant yes. trucks in the street honking their honking. horns. Yes. Because everybody was so happy. And I talked to my mom shortly after my, you know, my parents live in Texas, right. um but they're they're Democrats and They they are not able to celebrate in the way that we are. Mm. And hearing how emotional and how happy my mom was and Mm. how much she needed to talk to someone because she couldn't celebrate in the same way that we were celebrating just made me think like, dude, thank freaking God that this is where I live. Yeah. Thank God that this is where I have roots. Yeah. My
3: new goals after this are to live in a neighborhood where people celebrate like they do in your neighborhoods because Bushwick is quiet. And if I were not quarantining, I would be running to the next neighborhood to be running down the streets naked, screaming with everyone. (laughs) I have such FOMO right now.
1: You know what I found so interesting? And I was telling you guys before we started recording Yes, we have to wear masks and everybody needs to wear masks. But yeah, the, yeah. but seeing people's smiles yeah. behind that, oh, yeah. just seeing in their eyes that twinkle and that <sighs> just... Elation. Yes. And re- like you said, relief, relief and hope and joy. And, and like, just connecting with one another again. Yeah. Cause I Because strangers would just walk by and they would look at me and they would be like, yes! And I would yeah. say yes right back. It's yeah. just... It's, this 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 empowerment that we now have, we now are in power again. We can yeah. really move on from the darkness that we've been living in. From
3: those four years with Doofus Brain, and how yeah. about Pennsylvania and Georgia, ladies? I know. I know. Let's give a shout out to Stacy Abrams. Oh, oh my sh- God!
0: Yes. Cheers you to, to raise that. those glasses cheers to Stacy. To that to Stacy.
1: Thank you. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, on that note, mm. I feel like
3: this is a good place to start our
0: real-life discussion. Yeah. Yes, definitely. These were some—it's it's so funny with his writing because we read two whole chapters, almost 100 pages, I think. Mm-hmm. And really, there are only two major events that happened, yeah. and yet so, so much—, much happened in those chapters the first thing that struck me and i kind of want your input on this because i i don't know that i was able to actually make sense of this story but so at the beginning of chapter three wallace recounts his story he talks about having been in line at the corner store the weekend prior Mm. behind some tan boys who smelled of beer and sweat Mm -hmm. and one of them turns around and asks him what he's doing there and hadn't they told him to wait It seems like they mistake him for someone. Mm -hmm. This guy's friends realize the mistake and they start to pull their friend out of the store, to which he replies, no, no, we can't leave him. He's got the hookup. Mm -hmm. Don't you have the hookup, bro? And I was like, clearly they've mistaken him for a different guy. But like, did they mistake him for their drug Drug dealer? Is that that what that
1: is? That's what I thought.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There are so many little moments like this sprinkled throughout the book. And one of the things that Wallace says about them later on is that he's always the one left with the shame of that moment. It's never them. It's always him Him. that feels the shame of that. Yeah. And it's such an everyday scenario. He's just going to the corner store to buy some soap. And this shitty thing is said to him. And it sort of felt like maybe this happens to him all All the the time. time. Mm -hmm. Things like this happen all the freaking time. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, now that you've brought up shame, that was something that I really noticed in these few chapters that yeah. this book seems to really have, it se- that seems to be a theme that runs mm-hmm. through this whole book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, The shame of being gay, the shame of wanting something or someone that you can't have, the shame of, yeah. you know, we find out why he doesn't drink. There's even like a quick uh-huh. comment of someone being vegan. Like there's always shame in oh, that yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Shame right. of not not grieving the way that you're supposed to oh, I say right. in, in air quotes the shame of not being the right kind of man or scientist or friend or lover it's just like it's underneath everything and, yeah. and
2: that,
1: I really felt that color and I'm curious too now that you guys have both brought this up um, I don't know if you remember in the last episode and when we read chapters one and two that after Miller and Wallace made love Wallace went and threw up yeah. And then, after, if fast forwarding in chapter four, when he has this altercation or conversation, that was a very dark conversation with Ro- Roman and Emma, he then goes to the bathroom and throws mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that does come from a place of shame, if that uh. comes from a place of just like regurgitating all this or like getting rid of all this evil and sadness and just things that he doesn't that it's hard to deal with because it would be hard to deal with for anyone. If he's the one that's taking it all in. Yeah. And he doesn't have anybody to support him or let that all out with, the only way to let it out is just to vomit it out and move on. I don't know. That's kind of how I read that. Yeah.
0: I definitely kept getting a sense in these chapters that Wallace has to swallow everything it was really tough to watch him in that moment on the tennis court when he and cole are talking and the conversation about his dad is brought up mm. and like you were saying emma there's shame and not feeling the way you're so quote unquote supposed to feel Please. cole will not fucking let this go he's insistent that wallace must feel something to the point that wallace finally just like gives into this like badgering and as he puts it he quote-unquote lets the edge of an emotion he doesn't feel rise in his voice just to sort of appease Cole and move on and it was the same sense i got with the story about the meatballs that he had carefully prepared for his friends which are pretty much met with disgust when he comes to the door that woman who answers asks whether he's lost when she sees that he brought a meat dish to the dinner party since she's (laughs) vegan she's like so offended that's the vegan and now he's so careful to take a vegan dish to the to the dinner party but i kept having the sense of like he accommodates them constantly yeah but no one is accommodating him he's just not allowed to be himself anywhere. There's nowhere that he's allowed to feel comfortable or safe. Even he thinks he found that little corner of the library where he could have his lunch. That gets interrupted. He spills his noodles all over the floor. That made me so sad. Later on, when he confronts Vincent, Emma tells him that he's not behaving like himself. And it just becomes really obvious that he has to swallow all of these things. And then, like you said, Mariana, it's like he can't help but vomit it back up.
1: It's funny because when you wrote about the whole vegan thing and the, the, the plates that he has to take to these parties that he's invited to, that he usually questions whether or not to go, there was some. There was one point that I thought that it was really funny when Wallace just let us know that he he typically brings crackers or another form of fiber yeah. because his friends are. <laughs> all full of shit Mm. and need (laughs) cleansing or excuse me and need cleaning out from time to time all the cellulose from their vegetables pretty much so I thought that was freaking (laughs) hilarious because yeah they're full of shit and they need the fiber to kind of get rid of that that's in them that
3: is funny, but I have to say I did find fault in that because ever since I've been vegan, I have been more regular than ever yeah, that's, that's and wow, I have more fiber out. in my diet than
1: ever. So I was <laughs> yeah. like, actually, Wallace, I'm pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not putting you down, Emma, for being no, no, me. no, I just it still about, made me
0: laugh, though. Yeah. But I think once again, it's those moments that he has to find a way to internally retaliate for the things that have actually in real life externally been done to him. It was it was such an affront, I feel like, that he had prepared so carefully prepared these meatballs down to the dish that he put them. He got a special dish to present them I know. To his friends. And then not only did nobody eat them, but he's greeted at the door with like, you must be at the wrong place. Yeah. And he can't verbalize any kind of remark. To that he just has to internalize it and i feel like that's where that little joke comes from is yeah. just needing to needing to find justice for himself where there
1: is none and and that's the thing why do we have to feel that we need to fit in within a certain mold why do we have to follow some sort of protocol and if we don't then we're lesser than or our thoughts and feelings when they don't follow this typical dimension, like when we're talking about his grief and how he he's not grieving the way he should be grieving. Why is that a should? It doesn't have to be that way.
3: Because we as humans need validation and, yeah. and want to fit into larger groups. And so yeah. um, totally. it's like a form of survival. And so it's... And I think he really gets into that later in chapter four. Chapter four, I have to say, like, oh
0: my god,
3: really messed me up. Like, I was, yeah. I was really moved by the entire chapter as a whole. I read it three times because, yeah, he just. I mean, like we've been saying, I think Brandon Taylor just really encapsulates the human psyche, and we get yeah. to mm-hmm. see that through Wallace. And and he really. Brings up the uncomfortable, vulnerable subjects that we have a hard time talking about. Yeah. Which actually is a perfect segue <laughs> for me. <laughs> um let's have do it. tell Emma. <laughs> well, I I so going back to chapter three, you know, where we started reading, yeah. the bulk of chapter three revolves around Cole's distress in finding his boyfriend Vincent. Mm. on a gay men's dating app which I guess as you mentioned seems similar to something like Grindr therefore realizing that he's possibly looking for a random hookup after his friend Roman again eye roll
1: (laughs) tries to convince
3: (laughs) them to open up their relationship Roman is trouble oh my god -hmm. Roman is trouble. trouble he is I hate him fuck that guy so Cole is in a lot of turmoil about this not just because Vincent did this behind his back but also because he doesn't want to open up his relationship. right? And Wallace thinks to himself, a person doesn't belong to you just because you're in a relationship, just because you love them. People are people and they belong only to themselves. Mm. And I know this is an extremely complicated matter, but this is a subject that I have thought about a lot in the past. I've seen friends in homo and heterosexual relationships, some married and some not, who keep an open relationship and it works very well for them and seems to make their relationship actually function. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And while I can't imagine ever having an open relationship in my marriage, I'm not so closed off to knowing that people change and evolve. And I wonder sometimes if I could ever imagine entertaining this if our relationship was seriously on the rocks and if this could keep us together. Hmm. So I'm wondering if you two have ever thought about the concept of open relationships, not necessarily in your personal situation, but in general.
0: Jason always says this, and I feel like it's true for me, too. Like, I I don't think I would ever close my, I don't think I would ever close the door on anything. Like, I, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's right for our relationship right now. I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily see it being right for our relationship at any point in the future. But like if at some point it is, I think that's fine. I think people I think we all need to just live our lives the way we want to. You know what I mean? If you're not hurting anybody, do what you want to do. Be happy. Live your life like, you know, I, Mm. I think we all need to. I think we all need to get over a little bit this idea that there's like one right way to do it or you know what I mean? The three of us are all actors. We sort of live outside of what the normal nine to five like desk job. You know what I mean? Like our schedules are crazy. We don't know if we're ever going to have a job. And I feel like that's sort of this the same thing. Like we live outside of the box a little bit. And I think it has to be okay. not only okay, it has. It needs to be celebrated that people find ways to be happy.
1: Totally. Yes. And I, I feel that sometimes people get so bogged down or get really down on themselves because they feel like they're missing something out of their relationship. They're missing mm-hmm. something out of their significant other. And then they retaliate or then that's when conflict arises or that's when violence might become a thing a physical vi- or whatever they they might be uh emotionally abusive to one another why get to that place if you have an outlet by bringing someone else into the relationship where you might find a different type of intimate relationship with mm. because maybe you guys are you and your significant other are really great with conversation but you're not necessarily great physically because you just don't meet each other in that way who's to say mm. that somebody else wouldn't fit in that space that you're missing, that hole that you're missing. And there's nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah. Because,
1: I mean, w- w- I feel like I'm, we, the three of us are all about love and all about yeah. embracing each other and embracing our differences. Right. So what's wrong with that if if that were the case? I necessarily wouldn't do that right now because I'm right. very satisfied with my, my husband of almost 10 years <laughs> and knowing <laughs> him for 15 plus years. But it's because we've, again, we've grown together. So it's, it's a different time and place.
0: Yeah. I think the key thing, too, is like, and it's not what happens in this story, but like the key thing, too, is it needs to be something that you and your partner decide together. Of
3: together. course.
0: Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Emma? Uh,
3: I mean, all of that. Yeah. It's kind of like I s- Like I quickly said earlier, I, it's not something that I see for us now and maybe ever, but I'm, I do believe, I know that people do change and evolve. And Mm -hmm. I do think it's something, as you said, Brandy, we shouldn't just close ourselves off to it because it's something that seems foreign to us now, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I think I, I was really only kind of turned on to this concept about five years ago. I was in a show with a friend who's in an open marriage and I just could not comprehend it. Like I couldn't yeah. understand. And seeing how they have worked, seeing how they're working that and seeing how they, how it works for them and it works so beautifully for them, it's not like it makes me want to do that. I just am, my eyes are so much more open. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. <laughs> to um to there being so many possibilities and I think mm-hmm. that we have kind of like shut ourselves in in these, you know, confines of if it's not what I want then it's not right.
1: Yes. For anyone.
3: Yes. Totally.
1: Before we leave this whole app conversation, there was something that I found that was really poignant and I wanted to bring up um Wallace only deleted the app because he had grown tired of watching himself be invisible to them, of gathering silence in his inbox. He wasn't looking anyway, but at the same time, he wanted to be looked at the same as anyone else, to be seen. We all desperately want that in relationships, right? Yeah. Yeah. I recently worked on a scene from The Affair. I don't know if either of you guys have. I was obsessed with this show. A lot of people, after Allison left the show, a lot of people stopped watching it, but I followed it all the way through until the end. I loved every season. Um, And one of the scenes that I was working on was between Allison and her friend Phoebe, and they were specifically talking about this. When Allison first meets Noah, she kind of retells the their initial interaction that when she meets him she felt like he really saw her Mm. but then her friend is like well mm, not necessarily because was he infatuated with you did he really see you was he just showing a reflection of you just to make you feel good so it's it's so tough when you're in this place of like meeting people on apps or when you're even now, I mean, people still meeting in person, whether the person is really seeing and understanding and hearing who you are, as opposed to just looking at you and feeling infatuated with you. And I can yeah. only imagine how hard it is to find a relationship in this day and age where you can really find someone who's actually seeing you, seeing through you and really understanding who you are.
3: I wonder how much of that, too, is because I feel like and I only picked up on this this last time that I reread these chapters for the third time. <laughs> I feel like they're hinting at that Wallace may be on like the larger side or that he's not.
0: Yeah, there have been some comments. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's very subtle, but I think I think that in Brandon and Taylor is insinuating that maybe he's in not in the. Doesn't have a crazy physique.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know the most the appropriate way to put that. Right.
3: Yeah. And so I wonder if that's a lot of that shame as well and why he feels like he's being looked over on the dating app. Because it is it does come down so much to looks. And we have this terrible, terrible culture of fat shaming people. And um, I mean, that's like a whole other topic. But I wonder if that's partly why
0: he feels that way. It does seem, though, like there's also an element of race at play about the lack of attention that he gets on this app because he, I forget who Wallace is talking about. It might be Vincent, but he does, in his mind, sort of think he's also white, which is never a disadvantage with gay men. Right. Oh, Which made me wonder if that's part of also why Wallace feels like he gets overlooked on this app. He's just not the right color. Mhm. I don't know that was just like a little it, it's yeah. a very it's one of the things that I feel like this writer does really well. He drops these little lines that mm-hmm. seem very innocuous, but they're actually little like truth bombs. And they're everywhere. Yeah. And this was one of the, those lines that I read and he he do, he doesn't say more about it than that. You know what That's I mean? That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. But, but it that stays line with you. says a lot. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting.
3: I actually was wondering that as well when I I started to wonder if maybe tennis was a metaphor for Wallace's way of dating or like being with men.
1: Oh, Oh, interesting.
3: They say Wallace would be content to hit the same forehand 1,000 times in a warm up. It's boring, but he likes it. The consistency he hates Mm. to miss. And then later he talks about how the game of tennis is all about outmaneuvering your opponent trying to hit the ball where the other play isn't but sometimes you have to hit the ball to where they are to trick them yeah i felt like this was this is kind of how wallace has approached
1: dating or lack thereof mm. it's funny because i i really enjoyed how he was bringing tennis as like this metaphor of how str- strategic for me at least was the relationship between Cole and Wallace like all, yeah. almost watching a chess game? Mm-hmm. Because they were so patient with one another, observing each other, and then they went for the jugular. Like it was this, it was all this back and forth, and it was just yeah. it was so interesting to watch them maneuvering and trying to figure each other out. But they were very, very much in sync because they've known each other for a long time. Right. So they knew before the other person used another tactic to kind of get the 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 what is it, the love? What is it, the point? The love oh. point in tennis like love. Um like they knew what the other one was gonna come with, but it's like a metaphor also for life in general. It's just yeah. like feeling the other person out before they actually go to the next move. It's yeah. interesting. It's very mm, interesting. Yeah.
3: I was wondering if you two picked up on on this uh and I have a question about it as a whole, too. Cole says to Wallace, we're gay, not queer. Yeah. Right. And and I was yeah. like, what's the difference? And I know Cole then goes on to believe that he says that he believes that they are regular gay and that makes them more normal. Yeah. And that really brought up a lot of questions for me because I don't know that I've really ever tried to distinguish that before. So I tried to look that up and get a little more clarity. And, and I guess queer is more of an umbrella for people that don't believe that they are straight or cisgender but not necessarily, like, gay. I don't There's know. somewhere I, on the
0: spectrum, yeah. Somewhere
3: on the spectrum, yeah. I just, that that, I had questions about that.
0: Yeah, I found that statement of like normal gay really interesting because right. it was also like, well, what is abnormal gay? Like, what's not normal gay? Is that Roman right. and his boyfriends? Really, is that not normal gay? Like, what right. does that mean?
1: <laughs> right. I I wanted to bring and and because of the conversation that we're currently having, and I wanted to bring it quickly up. So you were mentioning about Wallace potentially being a little out of shape. When I had already said before about him throwing up after these, like, really intense situations, there was a moment that I thought, well, could he also be dealing with bulimia? Because in in chapter four, he keeps talking about while they're at this party, everybody else, like, there's a lot of things that have been said he stands up for himself he actually brings things up he doesn't stay silent but the aftermath is him coping with it by eating everything that's on the table
0: Mm -hmm. and then
1: going to the bathroom and throwing it all up and now and again this is the second time he brings it up so i'm wondering if that's also something that he's dealing with that brandon taylor is basically like just throwing that at us like just, just giving us this little breadcrumb of something else that's he's internalizing but the only way he can cope with it is by actually having an eating disorder
0: interesting that I had not occurred to me at all yeah
3: i thought it was because he had just gorged himself and just had all that food sitting in there because then he does say that it's hot and he's sweaty and it's like gross but right yeah i don't know that's interesting it hadn't occurred to me
0: I feel like that's also something people just do with food is like food is comfort. And he's just had this, I mean, back to back horrific moments. First, Roman says this terrible thing to him. Nobody stands up for him. And then he, in turn, confronts Vincent. So I I can totally see where he's just like needing, nobody stood up for him. And he's just needing comfort. Mm. He's just needing something that says things are okay. Yeah.
3: And then he also. Mm. Then he also like verbally vomits out that question right. when he confronts Cole, you know, or er, yeah. sorry, when he confronts Vincent. Vincent, I feel like yeah. he like verbally vomits that out as
0: well. Yeah. I mean, I have to say at the beginning of this book when Wallace sort of, it's it's so crystal clear at the beginning of the book that he regards himself as an outsider amongst his friends. Yeah. And I felt really sad for him. And I thought, well, maybe it's hard for him to get to get close to people or let people in. But these chapters really highlighted for me how dysfunctional this little group of friends is. Vincent is potentially looking to cheat on Cole. Mm-hmm. I think Roman, in addition to being a racist, might be trying to talk him into opening up his relationship because Roman is attracted to Vincent. For sure. And even as Cole is venting to Wallace about Vincent's behavior, he himself seems to start looking around because he's reminiscing with Wallace about their past together. Emma's boyfriend doesn't even show up to the dinner because he hates her friends. He hates her
1: friends. Yeah. There are
0: the two friends who are in relationships with other people, but they only seem to have eyes for each other, which everybody else seems to be aware of. It just feels like endless. And I found myself so relieved when Wa- Wallace finally just cuts through the bullshit. It's like he can't take it anymore. And yeah. he holds up a mirror to them, confronting Vincent with something that's true
1: and real and like cutting the shit I mean when you're saying all that it makes me think and this is gonna sound really but I feel like a lot of friendships and a lot of relationships are dysfunctional because right now when you're seeing you're saying all this about what he's witnessing I feel like we see this a lot in general because a lot of people are not willing to speak up. They're not willing to say when something is wrong. They're not. It's just it's yeah. it happens time and time again, mm. and it really saddens me that because and and that's why I'm so like, ugh, with this this novel because Brandon Taylor is really telling us how it is, and this mm-hmm. is like things that we observe, and as actors yeah. we observe a lot. Yeah. But mm-hmm. We don't necessarily talk about these things because we're afraid of how people are going to perceive us if we bring something up or right. if not exactly. or if we're not right. comfortable enough to actually speak up and I think that that's the problem with everyone. Us. <laughs> yeah. Right, and that's exactly what happens at the
0: table when Roman says that terrible thing to Wallace nobody speaks up because they're all afraid of how They're going to be perceived.
3: God, that moment killed me.
0: Oh, my God. It was agonizing. It was so bad. But I have to say, one of, I mean, one of the more difficult quotes for me to read and taken in these chapters, it happens a little bit later. But Wallace thinks to himself, there will always be good white people who love him and want the best for him, Mm -hmm. but who are more afraid of other white people than of letting him down. And this is something Wallace thinks to himself after Miller sort of apologizes for not having spoken up for him in that moment when Roman says that atrocious thing at dinner. And this quote really stabbed me. And of course, one of the sort of rallying cries that kind of exploded this summer in the middle of the Black Lives Matter movement was that to be silent is to be complicit. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of really deep soul searching this summer, as I'm sure you both did as Mm. well. And it can be really scary to look at parts of yourself that aren't so pretty or that sit in the shadows and acknowledge them and call them out. But I also think that's a huge part of the work that we all need to do. We need to get comfortable owning parts of ourselves that need to change and committing to that change. And we need to get comfortable with having tough conversations when they need to be had. Yes. And I think we need to accept that we're all imperfect and we'll always be growing and that we Mm. have to do better. Yes. So I wondered whether... Like Miller, you've ever had a moment like that, a moment where you witness an injustice and you want to say something, but for whatever reason, you don't, whether it's related to race or not. Was there ever a moment where you let a friend like Wallace down or even where you let a stranger that you didn't know down when you regretted that you stayed silent or that you didn't speak up?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. It is. Well, I mentioned in a previous episode in one of our previous books, I don't remember which one, that one of the main reasons that I had to get out of the restaurant industry was because yeah. of the stereotyping that occurs from within. Mm-hmm. And I'm ashamed to admit that there were many times that I didn't speak up to a comment that was made about anyone of any minority of of all races or ethnicities. Yeah. And one of the commitments that I made with myself over the summer when I was doing some serious soul searching as yeah. well, in the height of the Black Lives Matter movement was that I would never again hold my tongue when I encounter a statement that was made with slander or hate towards anyone in the bipoc yeah. community. And actually, I'm reminded now that I dated a stand-up comedian for five and a half years Oof. and he <laughs> was very, very brazen in making jokes about race in his stand-up mm. routines. Mm. and I actually did speak up to that. In private with him, letting, uh, telling him that I had a huge issue with some of his bits. And his response was always, I'm a comic. I can't censor my jokes. I make jokes mm. about all races and cultures. Mm. And that's true. He did. And that was a question that I asked myself for years with him is, how does that relationship with comedy and race work together? Or not work together are we doing more harm by making light of it and how can it be that they can joke about it but it's in quotation in quotes not personal Mm. i I still struggle with that like how do we how does that i know that's not completely answering your question brandy but i do think it's i do think that that subject of of comedy and race needs to be addressed better because i do wonder if maybe we are doing more harm than we're doing good by making jokes
0: yeah yeah i don't know i do think it's also possible to be a comic who makes jokes that are not racist jokes even if they're about race do you know what i mean like i i think that it's a fine line, but I think if you're a good comedian, mm. you don't need to be racist to make people laugh. I mean, I
3: ask myself, it's not the same thing, but like I ask myself too when people make Jewish jokes, like I find myself laughing at, at a lot of them. And some of them I'm like, is this bad that I'm laughing at this? Like that's actually terrible. Mm. So it's not it's not the same, but it is still making light of a terrible situation that for a minority you know it's um right. it may not be
0: funny <laughs> right i mean i also think it's a little bit different when it's someone of that community making the joke i understand how that yeah. can still be problematic
1: but i think they're coming from a place of they of understanding in a way because they're from there i agree with that <laughs> right. i think that's
0: right right 'Cause I mean I've seen I've seen like Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock making jokes about the black community for years. Right. And I mean they're very skilled comedians, so I'm very funny jokes, but like yeah. I think they can make jokes about that community that other comedians cannot. cannot.
1: Right, right. Going off your question, Brandy, um, there was also a quote that I wanted to bring up where uh, Brandon was saying silence is their way of getting by mm. because if they are silent long enough then this is the moment of minor discomfort, and it will pass for them. Mm, will fold down yeah. into the landscape of the evening as if it never happened. Yeah. And that for me, I was like,
3: that mm-hmm. is so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You just yeah. let it let it pass. You move on. What's next? Mm-hmm. So I also, as Emma, don't necessarily have an exact answer to your question. But as a Latina, I came into contact with and had a conversation with someone who was very close to me. Where before the election, and we just started talking about immigration and the immigration laws that have been implemented and deportation. And this individual, even though she came from immigrants, Believed that it was in the best interest of Americans to deport or to not let immigrants come into the country because mm. they were taking the jobs and the opportunities mm. of those that were already here who were citizens. Oh. <sighs> mm and i'm not necessarily the person who usually likes to confront especially loved ones i have a very hard time with that mm-hmm. but i can no longer stay silent because this is something that i fully believe in where i know that coming from immigrant parents who came to the united states yeah you've seen it firsthand who my dad actually was he when he came he he was a a business graduate he 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 actually was he took my grandfather's factory in Colombia. When he came here, he had to sell sandals at what they call a bulguero, which is a flea market, mm-hmm. because he couldn't find any other job because nobody would give him another job. And he worked his way up. It took a long wow. time. It took a lot of patience, but they did it the right way. And sometimes you just have to leave your country. And America is, is, is supposed to be the land of opportunity, the, la- mm-hmm. the land of the, the American dream. Yeah. And for someone to come at me and say no, we should reject these people that are coming in or we should send back these people that Ugh. are not necessarily doing it because they're not a citizen. Right. That's not right. And I know I'm not speaking for for African Americans and, and but I'm speaking for Latino because that's what I know that's my experience. Yeah. But having that conversation with this individual she then Said to me that I kind of enlightened her and I woke her in a sense. Like I just changed her perspective that nobody had actually had a conversation with her and really explained it to her in a way coming from personal experience how hard that is for someone to not see what these individuals do and that they are making the United States of America, a much better place. And that they're taking yeah. jobs that most other people wouldn't take because they're trying right. to make a living for themselves while they build and go up that ladder. Right. right. So it's like just speaking up will change perspectives. People will involve- evolve because of that. Right. And that's why Wallace is fucking kicking ass mm-hmm. <laughs> while like just starting the conversations. Yeah. It's just so hard to get to that place and feel comfortable enough with yourself that, that you can speak up and not be silent anymore. That's because such a we shouldn't to be you too,
0: though. As as somebody who clearly, like, you have such an open heart, and you come at people in a very specific way Mm. because I know a lot of people who would have had that conversation and it probably would have been really aggressive and turned off that person yeah you know people just are so quick to put walls up and be like if you're coming at me a certain way I'm not listening to what you're saying so that's such a credit to you and the way you were able to approach that 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 person did remain open right to changing and to growing yeah good for you The story that comes to mind for me or that came to mind for me in this horrible moment for Wallace at the dinner table where nobody sticks up for him. It's funny that you mentioned the restaurant industry, Emma, because it's (laughs) when I was working in a restaurant and there were, you know, it was at the beginning of the night. We're polishing glasses and all of that stuff. And there were three of us doing this task, three of us servers polishing glasses. And one of the other servers is telling me about the night before just sort of what happened and probably what a shit show it was as Mm. is the usual (laughs) and he in telling me this recounted a story about one of the managers who at the very end of the night seated a table of people who he then made a joke like an open joke about with some of the servers about their race and what they probably were going to order And this server recounted the story to me and kind of like laughed uncomfortably about it as he was telling me, but definitely told the joke and like the whole story and everything. And the third person who was polishing glasses with us was a black man who Mm. was so like he's such a beloved person at that restaurant. There's nobody who doesn't love him. But this third server tells me this story and I don't think he meant I don't think he thought he meant any harm in telling it I think he thought he was recounting just what happened last night I was so stunned by the joke that this manager had told that I kind of didn't know what to say especially since this is happening in front of this other server (sighs) and so I kind of just didn't say anything and there was a really awkward beat of silence where we all kind of acknowledge what's happening (sighs) And finally, the the third server speaks up, and he, he turns to the guy who told the joke and says, you know, man, you really shouldn't tell jokes like that. Mm. Huh. And the guy said, well, it's not my joke. I was just telling her what the manager had said. And he's like, yeah, but you, you really shouldn't repeat that. Mm. And I found myself just feeling so ashamed that I hadn't... He, sh- he shouldn't have had to say that. I should right. have said mm that. And I think in my mind I just didn't I was so thrown off by the fact that it was happening that I didn't know what to say, but afterward I thought to myself there shouldn't be a question of what to say. Mm. That should be right. a very clear. Right. You don't say that. And that's haunted me ever since it happened. Wow. And I hate it. But I also think it's one of those things that, like, I will never respond that way again. It was definitely Mm -hmm. a learning moment where I was like, Mm -hmm. I will never let that happen again.
3: Something I I keep seeing come up is that we keep saying, you know, black people are going to save America. And and we keep turning to black people to tell Mm -hmm. us what to do. Mm -hmm. And their response is, it's not our job to save you for something that we didn't create. Right. (laughs) It's your job to learn. It is, yeah. Like we're like, oh, we've been fucking up. Hey, black friend, how do we respond?
1: And it's like, how no, do we fix it? And it's, it's like, not, not their be responsibility. A decent yeah. yeah, no. But that's the thing. We have to own it. We fucked up. As a race, we fucked up. Like that's what we have to keep saying. Like it's not. We're not. We're not seeing beyond ourselves. And I'm talking about us as a whole. You know, yeah. white people are not seeing beyond themselves. We need to see beyond ourselves. It's not about us. It's not about us being selfish. We need to be <laughs> move beyond that.
3: Yeah. I don't know if you both have seen the video clip that's been circulating around Instagram and social media. Uh, that's a, a clip of Eddie Gloud. Apologies mm-hmm. if I'm saying his last name wrong. He's a professor of African-American studies at Princeton University
1: no i saw it on your instagram and it was unbelievable
3: it is so moving i i wrote down this quote that he says because i think it is so prevalent and completely tied to what we're saying right now he says and i urge anyone that hasn't seen this to research it it's everywhere he says america is not unique in its sins as a country we're not unique in our evils. Where we may be singular is our refusal to acknowledge them mm-hmm. and the legends and myths we tell about our inherent goodness to hide and cover and conceal so that we can maintain a kind of willful ignorance that protects <laughs> our innocence. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Ooh, ooh. Like,
3: that sums it all up for me. It, like, there it, it is. Yeah. You can't
0: ignore that. No. No. Well, one thing I wanted to say was that I find it really interesting about Wallace that he seems to both hate that his friends assume things about him or presume to know him. But at the same time, he likes to hide in that space. He doesn't like to let anyone get too close to him. Yeah. And so I find myself torn pulling for him to stay and fight for what he's worked so hard for. But I'm also pulling for him to find that freedom that he's looking for. I just don't know that he's going to find that freedom and that acceptance from other people until he finds it in himself. I don't know that he's ever going to be able to let someone in until he can honestly look at himself and deal with the hurt that I think he does have from his childhood and from all of these other little microaggressions that happened to him. There seem to be a lot of things in his past that he's either not dealing with or that he's not owning And I feel like until he gets to the heart of that stuff, moving somewhere new isn't going to matter. I don't know that it's going to yield the result that he wants because he'll ultimately still be hiding in plain sight. And I think one of the most painful things about this book is that one of the things that causes him so much pain is the thing that he might never be able to escape no matter where he goes. And that's racism and being made to feel different or other or lesser. I feel like that's such a huge piece of what makes him feel like an outsider, even in his friend group, in his program. Yeah. And I think he feels like maybe leaving will help that. But it's one of the it's it's something that's so tragic that, like, no matter where Wallace goes, he's not going to be able to escape the bias that people Mm -hmm look at him with no and
1: and there's a quote that um i wanted to read to both of you it's the place in every white person's heart where their racism Mm. lives and flourishes Mm. not some vast open plain but a small crack which is all it takes
3: yeah yeah
1: so he might not never be able to escape it because it will always be there
0: and what's horrifying is that that's the case for that's the case for black Americans everywhere, yep. especially yeah. in Trump's America. It's, yeah, but we're getting him out. So we're getting him out. But he got I know it doesn't change a shit ton of votes, a horrifying number of which votes. is so sad know, And for black Americans. I can't imagine black <laughs> Americans looking at that number and having to deal
1: with what that means. Right. Right, horrific it's horrific it's it's, it's it, it shows us that we still have a divided america that there's so many individuals in a the united states oh of america God, that still believe in racism still it's be- believe 50/50. in misogyny
3: it's been yeah. divided since someone said 1619 you know it's not a new yeah. thing no it just it's
1: tragic but, but it's still it's here not new. and it just yeah. doesn't leave <laughs> yeah um so I did want to quickly bring this up, Brandy, because you just mentioned something about Wallace's childhood. And in Chapter 4, we find out about his mom,
3: who yeah. indeed was
1: an alcoholic.
3: Yeah, We find
1: out how he found her after having a stroke, which yeah. he later on realizes. He finds her dead sitting in a chair that she mm. usually would sit at while looking out through a window just seeing what else was out there in the world and we find out how abusive she was emotionally and physically Mm -hmm. so he's dealt with a lot of demons a lot of things in his childhood that i mean for anyone it's 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 horrific so it's something that um is hard and also to to your point brandy um I get it that he might not be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel somewhere else Mm. if he moves somewhere else. But he does make a note towards the end of chapter four when Miller actually is asking Wallace to tell him his story or his history. Yeah. And Wallace is reluctant to do so.
3: Yeah, he explains that that, moment. I did too. I love it. It's so
1: romantic. It is. I was (laughs) crying because Miller really wants to know. He's intrigued by Wallace and really wants to really know who he is and understand Mm -hmm. him. So Wallace explains that when he moved to the Midwest, he was able to shed his other life like a skin. Yeah, and that is the really wonderful thing about living in a place to which you are not connected. Mm -hmm. It cannot lay a claim on who you were before you arrived there. Mm. And all anyone knows of you is what you tell them. I've often thought about this. There is this idea that the grass is always greener on the other side. Moving somewhere would be less pressure. You know, Uh I love traveling because I can be a different version of myself and not deal with the pressures I've created for myself Mm -hmm. or the established preconceived notions that exist about me. That's why I believe I always do better with first impressions because I can reinvent myself each and every time.
0: Mm-hmm. I can be who
1: I want to be and no one will really question otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My question to both of you is, have, you, have either of you ever felt this way? Can you relate to that
0: at all? I mean, I really like this question, especially since the three of us are all actors. Right. (laughs) And I feel like every time we do an audition, we're somebody new. And every time we show up on set, we get to be somebody new. And we get to live this whole different life experience and take on this character that has a whole different life experience. So I feel like in some way, all three of us have tried to do what wallace is talking about where he like wants to run away and live a different real life i feel like we're all on that same journey except that's our job <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. right <laughs> <Sure>.
0: <laughs> right well
3: to, for, to answer your question mariana uh yes <laughs> for me <laughs> what comes up is the first time that i went to italy was right after i graduated college i went with one of my dear friends and i was so fucking excited I had taken Italian for a semester in preparation for the trip, and I think we were there for 10 days. I think she maybe left earlier, and I stayed on for a little longer. I don't remember. But the day that we landed in Rome, she was feeling really homesick and sad because she had left her fiancé for a few months. She was actually going to keep traveling from there to go somewhere else. And she wanted to lay low in the hotel room. And I was like, I will be damned if I came all the <laughs> way here to Rome to stay in a hotel. Yeah. So I decided that I was going to go out by myself.
0: Yeah. Good for and, you.
3: And I spent pretty much the rest of my time there out and about all by myself. That sounds
0: amazing.
3: It was, <laughs> but it was shocking to me because prior to that trip, I had never traveled anywhere by myself. Wow. And honestly, like, I wasn't even really good at doing anything on my own. Like, I liked company going to the grocery store. So <laughs> it really surprised me. Like, I didn't, I was like, look at this woman coming out. Yeah. So somehow being in Italy gave me this freedom to be, like, a whole new woman, essentially. Like, a brave independent, sassy, bold woman who picked up flautists on the sidewalk. Oh. Because <laughs> I did that. Yes. Hey, now. <laughs> yeah, I realized that that no one there knew me and I could, as you said, reinvent myself to be the woman that I wanted to be. But I think also that I knew I had inside deep mm-hmm. down.
0: I love that and I love that you had that experience in Italy and then you eventually married an Italian. <laughs> I think there's some big, It
3: there's all came some, full circle.
0: There's some beautiful <laughs> symmetry in that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah Back to totally. my
1: 21-year-old self. <laughs> totally. Totally.
3: Hilarious. How about you?
1: Well, I, I mean, for me, it's just I've always questioned, like I question going back to Miami. There's still these preconceived notions of who I am with my family and my friends who are back home. Um, Let's say moving to Atlanta or moving to L.A. or moving to North Carolina, there would be this whole new me that I cannot not necessarily reinvent. But like you said, I'm finding this woman that's in you mm-hmm. that you ne- not necessarily have explored or given the, the chance to just come out more often than you do. Mm hmm being where you are yeah and because i i'm i always put pressure on myself to always uh, for people to see me a certain way and if i've already shown them myself in a certain light then i want to make sure that the next time they see me they see me in the same light so it's just like this added pressure that shouldn't even be there and i feel like sometimes moving somewhere else Mm. then i would just be able to create the idea of who I think I want to be or maybe the the real me mm. and not have to deal with the pressure of the, the, the already preconceived notions that were in place before.
3: I hope you can release that pressure from yourself because <laughs> one day anyone that meets you, regardless of if you feel like you're putting something on or not, I think will realize that you are just like a lovely, warm, kind hearted. Yeah compassionate, passionate yeah, woman. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's and I mean that. I mean that <laughs> that's, that's I hope thank that you. you feel that.
0: You guys, that yeah. was so sweet.
1: I know that was <laughs>
0: <laughs> we
3: owe it to ourselves today to end compassionately because this is a celebratoris celebratoris? Is, that a, yeah. Yeah. Know. is sure. that a word? celebratorious Yeah. Yeah. Is that a word? Sure. It's a joyous day. <laughs> we're yeah. celebrating. We're celebrating.
0: Yeah. Cheers.
3: Woohoo. Well,
0: cheers to that.
3: It's bad luck to cheers with water, so I'll just thrust my tits at you.
0: Great. Ooh. We love it. Ooh.
1: We're backing it up here for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, now we might as well end with a funny question, right? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. So Wallace says at the end when Miller and Wallace are in in each other's arms. So actually, when Wallace walks into Miller's room, he says that Miller's room smells just like Miller, which means oranges and salt. I love
0: that.
1: Yeah. So that got me thinking. And I really want to know what you guys would say that your husbands smell (laughs) like. I have
0: to say, and I am such a clean freak and a neat freak that this delights me to no end. Jason always smells like fresh, clean laundry. And so every time I get a whiff of him, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is right. (laughs) Like, we really belong together. (laughs) I love
3: that smell. He's fresh and so clean, clean. (laughs) I think Ricardo smells like tofu and olive oil.
0: Oh, Ooh, I love
3: that. Italian Ooh, and vegan. Yes. Yeah, I mean, not really. He smells amazing. <laughs> I love the smell of olive oil.
0: So do it's I. Delicious.
3: It was really just a joke because he's Italian. He smells good.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I've always told Andrew since I met him, there's a point in time in the middle of the night where I go and like snuggle next to him. and I'm like, you smell like raisins. Why? I don't know. But he smells like raisins. and Like dried I love grapes. That's hilarious. I love it. But there's something about him in the middle of the night where I'm like, raisins.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I snuggle with my dog, Doc, at night. We spoon. I'm the big spoon. He's the little spoon. And I swear he smells like peanut butter. And I love it. Mm. It like helps me go to sleep that he smells like (laughs) peanut butter.
3: (laughs) That's so so cute.
0: That's
3: so sweet.
0: All right, y'all. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. A big thank you to Jimmy Fontanez and Meteorite
1: Productions, as well as Text Me Records for our music. Molly from Virginia. Molly. Yes. Thank you so much for your ridiculously fabulous review. Yeah, yes. seriously. I mean, you love listening to us, and we love you for joining us. Yes, thank Molly. you, Chica. Yes. Seriously. Seriously. Also, big shout out to Audrey Helps Actors for your support. Yeah, yes. we love you. you. We appreciate it. You and take your comments wholeheartedly it means a great deal to the three of us. Keep them coming, please. Yes, please. Yeah.
3: Next week we're pulling an Audible and finishing the book. What? Mm-hmm. What? This entails chapters five to the end. Why are we wrapping up this book in just three episodes? Well, we have a special episode coming your way for week four. Yeah. So stay tuned. And if you're not already, follow us on Instagram at Are These Books Drunk to keep up with next week's cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's always, always happy hour, hour. here. here.
1: <laughs> Biden Harris. love you ladies love you guys bye ciao